Mike, what are we talking about on today's episode of Moving the Goalposts? Today, we touch on the disappointing end of the Bruins season, as well as look ahead to the interesting off-season decisions that they're facing. We also hit on the Celtics' tough losses in Game 3 and 4 and give our thoughts on how the rest of the series plays out. And then towards the end of the show, we're going to have a conversation about uh, getting bit by bugs outside as the end of summer is right around the corner. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, review, and tell a friend. Moving the goalposts wherever you listen. It's just a public service announcement sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is O, O, H to the O-V. I used to move snowflakes by the O. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Moving the Goalposts, New England's number one sports podcast for anyone who's trying PBR for the first time today. You can check out our social media profiles on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at NickMara94. Mike, where can the listeners reach you? Find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala and on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Be sure to follow along with us on our Moving the Goalposts social media as well. They can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. And Hedman was really determined in overtime. That was a terrific shift for Braden Point. He seemed like he wanted to make sure that that shift ended with a goal. That sure was. It's been the stars of this Tampa team throughout the year and throughout the playoffs. You got to wonder what is next for a player like Zdeno Char, the 43-year-old captain. What a competitor. What a career. The Boston core group, Bergeron's 35, Preachy's 34, Marshawn now 32, and you mentioned Chara. All right, Mike, so as we kind of predicted on last week's episode, the Bruins uh, were unable to defeat Tampa in their second round series. They get knocked out in five games, losing game five in overtime. Uh, actually put forth a little bit more of a fight than I had expected, but disappointing nonetheless because you had a team that won the President's Trophy in the regular season, had four months off, and just seemed like they never really got back into the swing of things. They kind of took the round robin a little bit easily, and they said that they were treating them more as exhibition games than anything else, and then sort of blew doors against Carolina, but Carolina is an inferior opponent, Mm -hmm. uh, despite what they were able to do against the Rangers. The Rangers obviously now picking first overall in the NHL draft for this upcoming upcoming season. Um, And then play well against Tampa in game one, but it's just a repeat of what we had in 2018. We've got some topics that we can talk about uh, a little bit later on in the conversation, but what were your initial thoughts or your initial feelings after the Bruins season uh, ended at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning last week? It's a, a lot of negative feelings again. It's like you, like you mentioned, it's 2018 all over again. And as not a huge hockey guy, I feel like I have disdain towards the Lightning. And I don't really know why. Uh, it's just like a, the, the natural thing to do, I guess, as a Boston fan, especially in the last few years. Um, just uh, this team is very talented. And you, you knew that coming into the series. So when I predicted that the Bruins would lose in six or seven, I, that's, this, is exactly, this is exactly how I thought it would go. Um, obviously, it went a, a little bit faster than, than I would have expected, or especially after the game one, how they played. Yeah. Um, but – the second half of the series, you, you just completely felt it was a complete shift from, from game three on that was, it was a completely different series. And I, I give them credit for not bowing out in game five, like NBA teams would have, um, 
but uh, to to go into to overtime, to go into double overtime, it's it shows that they have that heart. And uh, I, I don't know. Come like you said, we'll talk about the future going forward. But there's it, there's a lot of questions surrounding this team right now. But but you know what? Specifically focusing on the series at hand and taking a closer look at Game Three. That was the seven one thrashing they received. And it just seemed as though they were never engaged in the game. Like yeah. you go up and after game one, it's, it's a nice three, two win. You, you pretty much carried the pace of play and then game two, you lose in overtime. Okay, fine. Now, all of a sudden you've got a couple of, you got a day off, you come back, you're the designated home team and you put forth a crap effort. Your goaltending sucks. Your defense sucks. Your offense sucks. Special teams was terrible. Coaching. This was. This is maybe the most frustrating. I think that Bruins fans can be with Bruce Cassidy because the the lineup that he put out in Game Three didn't have Sean Corrali, which I, I guess you know we're finding out after the fact he was injured. Didn't have Jack Studnika, who's still a raw prospect, but someone who has decent size, fights for the puck, good speed, nice skill. Um, you know, should find himself on the Boston roster full-time uh, next season, whatever it begins. If it's at the end of 2020 or if it's the beginning of 21, who knows? But we'll just call it the 21 season. Um, and I've already voiced all my frustration about Nick Ritchie. Thankfully, I think that he's done. We don't have to deal with him anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure of what his contract situation is, but regardless of what it is, these are the, the types of deals that you make where you think that the player is going to offer something. And I think in the case of Richie, they felt they were going to be getting a physical player, someone who's going to be hard on the puck, difficult to play against, almost in that Pat Maroon type mold that you saw from St. Louis last year and then Tampa this year. But Nick Ritchie was not Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon's a fourth-line player who knows what his responsibilities are, and he goes out and he does them. He's not going to try and do too much, and he's also not going to leave a lot to be desired. Nick Ritchie's playing on a third line, so he's getting a regular shift. He was a first-round draft pick, which blows my mind. I, don't, I have no idea how Anaheim drafted him, but you know that, that's besides the point. Um, it just never seemed like he fit on that line. That Bruins third line, which consisted mainly of Charlie Coyle at center and Anders Bjork on the either the right wing or the left wing, it, it always kind of struck me as the type of line that would just provide a lot of effort mm-hmm. and puck possession. They weren't going to score a lot, but they weren't like specifically a checking line in the traditional sense or a defensive only line. Like if you rewind all the way back to 2011, and the Bruins last won the Stanley Cup. Their third line was was fantastic. It, for the majority of the run, it was a combination of uh, Chris Kelly, Rich Peverly, and Michael Ryder. Michael Ryder could have been a top six forward on probably 20 other teams in the league that year. Right. Now, Charlie Coyle is probably a top six forward on a lot of other teams as well, as long as you don't have Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, who, again, we will get to mm-hmm. um, in front of him at the center position. But the performance level of that line, I thought, was was consistent until they put Richie on it. And then it became sort of like you're holding your breath. You don't know what's going to happen. And the penalties, man, the penalties, are, I think, it, were the killer. Really killed them. Yep. It, it really, really killed them. Like, we talked about it, I believe, in the last episode. It's just stupid bonehead plays, things that you don't need. You don't need to see Nick Richie fighting three times a game for no reason. 
You don't need to see him making ridiculous, stupid plays. And uh, w- while you were talking, I looked up Nick Ritchie is, is back next year somehow. Nah. So, uh, I mean, hopefully they'll be able to, uh, I don't know, convince somebody to, to take on that, yeah. that salary. And that contract goes up to $2 million from one point four this year. So, I mean, it's not a lot of money, but right. I just would have preferred to have seen him go away. Right. I'd maybe pay him the $2 million just to just to get out of here. Well, the way that the buyout process works in the NHL, and I don't know if you can buy out someone who's still on like an entry-level deal or their second contract. The CBA in, in, in the National Hockey League is pretty straightforward, and the, the way that they handle their salary cap information is pretty straightforward as well. Uh, the buyout period, so to speak, involves you saying to a player that you're paying on your roster, and again, in hockey, all the money is guaranteed. So when you sign on the dotted line, that's how much money you're going to be getting. Uh, so if he had one year left on his contract for $2 million, that $2 million would go against the cap for Boston in the 21 season. Instead, what they could do is cut that number in half. So instead of it being a $2 million cap hit, it would be a $1 million cap hit and extend it over two years. Right. So the player's going to still be getting his full value. He's just going to be getting half of it over twice the amount of time. That's probably not worth it. You right. know, for a million dollars, what are you, are you going to save a million dollars and be able to get that to Tory Krug? Or is that going to be the difference between, you know, signing someone like uh, Petrangelo or Braden Holtby or do we even say Taylor Hall? Like there's some pretty decent free agents on the market this year. And I think Boston's going to have some cap space. Um, depending on how they handle their restricted free agents. So Jake DeBrusque obviously is a restricted free agent. You're going to have to make a decision on him. You're going to have to make a decision on Matt Grizzlick. And then your two UFAs, the big, big, big names that they're really going to have to decide on what to do with Tori Krug and Zdeno Chara. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've really taken the time to, to think about the future that much and whether you want, one of these guys back, both of these guys back, none of these guys back. In your ideal situation, let's say that Boston had the money. They just magically had the money. Uh, how would you go forward with Krug and Chara individually? Uh, I think in, in an ideal world, you bring back Krug and Chara retires. That's the ideal world. Big um, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen uh, from at least some of the the rumors around the league is that he wants to keep playing. Um, and the way it makes it sound is at least the way that um, as, as the broadcast made, made it sound after uh, he was done in that game, that doesn't seem like he's going to be back here. No. And, so, and, well, I, I just, I have no idea where doc Emmerich's coming up with that. Like he's not pulling that out of his ass to just right. interrupt his, his soliloquy or whatever at the end of a series, they're going through the handshake line and for him to just go on and on and on about Zdeno Chara. And, and I think just from watching him play from that point in July or August when they started up again to you know the beginning of September when they got knocked out, he's not an NHL caliber defenseman anymore. He might be a sixth D. He's probably a seventh defenseman. I had an opportunity to listen to one of the radio shows in Boston uh, during this past week where they were basically identifying Chara as if you're going to come back, you're going to come back on the veteran minimum. So he was making what, like $2 million this year. So 
what does that get cut in half? He'll make a million bucks. Yeah. I doubt he makes less than a million dollars. But then is he going to be on your third pairing and possibly a healthy scratch for some games? Are right. you still going to, is he still going to be your captain? Like, you can't do that. You like, just, yeah, I don't. I don't think you can treat treat a guy who like has earned that much respect around here like, like a just a common defenseman. Like, you can't just move him down two lines for. It, it just would be a bad look. It would be bad right. optics. Um, but in an ideal world, like like I said, Char would retire. I want them to keep Krug. I want them to keep them at a number that's not ridiculous. <laughs> so he's making five a year right now. Right. That, that was the last contract that he signed, which, you know, for, for him, an undrafted free agent who signed with Boston in the, uh, the 2012 season and then made his kind of debut with the team back in the 2013 playoffs, he's been around for a while. Yeah. Like, you got to figure, he played four years in college, so he signed as a 22-year-old. He's now been here since he was 22. So he's coming up on 30. Uh, a lot of the analysts, so to speak, and, and reporters would probably say that he didn't have the most electric postseason. Some would probably argue he was one of your worst defensemen. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't necessarily see that out of him, but I did not see that transcendent play on the power play, you know, where he's a weapon at the top of the umbrella on the blue line. Uh, I, I think for the most part, their power play runs from the bottom. Now it runs from the half wall. It runs from the bottom. It's Bergeron, it's Marchand, it's Krejci, it's Pasternak. And then Cruz just up at the top, but you could put anyone there. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm in the same boat as you. Resign Krug, let Chara walk. I know that he wants to come back and I know he wants to come back to Boston, but it's like you said, the optics of bringing a guy back who's going to be 44 next year. Like we talk about Tom Brady being a 43-year-old quarterback in the NFL. Zdeno Chara is a 43-year-old defenseman in the, or not in the NHL, in the NFL. 43-year-old quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Zdeno Chara is a 43-year-old defenseman in the NHL. Like this is a a much faster game. It's a much more physical game at that position. And, And that's not to say that Brady doesn't have his own responsibilities and you know, can be affected by that, that age gap. But you're talking about two completely different types of athletes. So for Dano Chara to be doing this at 43, 44, it's impressive, but at some point you kind of have to pull the plug. You need a Bill Belichick to go up to him and say, Z, like, I know you want to keep playing, but we just, it, it will do too much damage to our development for our younger players for the future and our current situation now you got to go elsewhere. We're sorry, but you got to go elsewhere. I don't, and I don't know if that's conversation that this management or this ownership or this coaching staff or any of them can have. I think they're kind of attached to Zidane Chara. Right. And you, like you, like you said, you don't really have that ruthless Bill Belichick character to, to make that non-emotional decision. I don't know if Bruce Cassidy's that guy. I'd like to think of him as a guy who, pretty much tells it how it is and that's how he's been dealing with the media at least so far um but again it's it's the captain of your team for so many years the the one of the greatest defensemen you've seen in this generation it's like and now you're you're supposed to just turn over a new leaf in one season and forget about him while he's still playing somewhere else it's it's a tough ask for 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 an organization but that that's the smart move is is to do something like that bring back Tory Krug around 
five and a half, six. No way. He'll he'll get way more than that on the open market. He so he That's came crazy, out. Man. Did you hear the comments that he said? You know, last week after he was doing all his end of year press conferences and Zoom meetings and whatnot. Did you hear any of the comments that he was saying? I heard reaction to the comments, but I didn't actually hear the comments. All right. So I heard reaction to the comments as well. But <laughs> the gist of the comments, I guess, were basically him saying what I said. I'm 29 years old. I've taken a lot of discounts to this point. Now's an opportunity to make my final you know, contract and make some money. There's only a, a finite amount of time for a professional athlete to make money in their career. And this is Tory Krug's opportunity to strike the jackpot. And there's going to be demand for his services. Um, I mean, if you could get him for five and a half, six, that would be fucking incredible. You'd be stupid not to. Right. Like that, that, that is the level I'm thinking at. I'm looking back at the last few years of free agent defensemen. Like Truba last year went for eight. He's 25. Yeah. Like that, that's what I'm thinking is you're adding four more years. I mean, you're adding less defensive skill overall. There ha- like he can't be worth the top end defenseman money. No, no, no. I mean, he's certainly not going to get Eric Carlson money. He's not even going to get uh, you know like Brent Burns money. It, it, he's probably going to be capped off at seven to seven and a half. I had written a blog uh, a while ago that the Bruins needed to make a decision quickly on Krug because if you were just going to lollygag and go through negotiations. Who knows how free agency is going to go? Who knows how, how the offseason is going to go? You need to have a, a good idea of what your team's going to look like right. very, very quickly so that you can get your offseason programs and protocols underway and kind of have a leg up on everybody else. Like, I, I look at a team like, you know, Detroit or Los Angeles, they've been off since the beginning of March and they're not going to play again until probably January or February of next year. Like, they're going to have 10 months off. That is insane. Yeah. So, they, in theory, could already have established some form of an off-season plan. Like, um, you know, if it's weight training or how many times we want you guys to touch the ice or where we want your, your nutrition to be or anything like that. But, you know, they still have to wait and see who's going to be on their roster. Somehow, I have no idea how this is possible, but NHL teams are making trades right now. Like Montreal, I saw that. <laughs> and Montreal and Pittsburgh made a trade the other day. I don't, I don't know how it's possible, but right. yeah, I, I guess it is. Like, I, who I, knows I, how the salary cap's affected? Because, like, I, yes, they have it yeah. locked in, but, like, who knows if that changes because of what happened this year. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's one thing that the NHL and, and ownership and management for, for all 32 franchises now, let's, let's start to include Seattle in it because they're certainly going to have to – uh, be a part of a lot of the decisions that the other 31 teams make is, all right, well, if we sign this guy, we're going to have to protect him. If we don't sign this guy, we can protect somebody else on our roster. Right. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe Boston does that. Maybe they bring in Zidane Ochara on such a great contract <laughs> and then leave him unprotected so that Seattle picks him up in the expansion draft. I think that would be a great move for Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> they should do it right now. Start, start uh, greasing the wheel. Uh, it's un- unbelievable. You know, a bittersweet ending for sure for, for Boston. But um, I think the most bittersweet thing of all was was the performance of David Krejci in that second round. Like, we were going back and forth towards the end. Krejci gets two points in, in game five, and he's at three. And this is going back to that that over-under I saw on Bovada that he was going to be three and a half points for the entire series. Like, 
He had just scored in seven straight playoff games, and they, they took his over-under at three and a half for a seven-game series. I'm like, pound the fucking over on that one. It's guaranteed <laughs> money. Fortunately for me, I didn't put up any units. Unfortunately for me, I was very public with, with my take on that. So every single sports bet that I've made hasn't really paid off for me. So, <laughs> you know, I, I like the idea of, of knowing who Vegas thinks is, is the favorite because it certainly gives you a, an inside look on how the series may go or how the games may go. Uh, <laughs> but for them to, to nail Krejci at three points in five games. They do it every time. That's unbelievable. Thing. How did they know down to the half a point? That this is gonna that this is gonna shake out like that, and and more on Krejci. After a performance like this, this playoff run, you finally saw him jump back up to the level that people have expected him to go. Yeah, for sure. Is it time? Will someone finally call? Um. Well, what's he making? This is this is the great thing about hockey is every single decision needs to be made with contracts in mind because of how hard the cap is like you can do the same thing in basketball as well but certainly not to this extent so he's got one year left on his contract he's making seven million he's the highest paid forward um on the team and uh yeah so he'll be a unrestricted free agent after the 21 season I mean, if you ate half the money and you, you tried to trade them off for maybe like a second-round pick or a third-round pick, or possibly you can sneak back into the, into the first round uh, with, you know, giving him up to a contender that's maybe a player away, a forward away, center away, who knows. Um, but hit, my, my main takeaway from Krejci Again, this isn't something that I actually heard verbatim. I heard it through the grapevine on talk radio. I guess he was really frustrated at the end of the year that whenever he was logging on to these Zoom conferences, nobody was asking him any questions. <laughs> like, buddy, what the fuck do you want these reporters to ask you? Hey, David, how much does it suck playing with Jake DeBrusque and Andre Kasha still? He's like, well, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can, but management fucks me over time and time again. Right. Like, I, I, I used to be so sick and tired of this narrative that David Krejci never has anybody to play with. But when you look at the amount of players he's been paired up with over the last 10 years, it's remarkable. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. he's been like 23 or 24 different forwards he's had on his wings. It, it's crazy. just, it's it would be the, I would say it's the equivalent to... Um, a quarterback in the NFL, you get drafted, you sit for one year or, you know, three quarters of a year, you come in, your team sucks, you get some snaps, whatever your head coach is fired. They bring in another head coach. They keep the offensive coordinator. Maybe they promote the offensive coordinator. Then your coach gets fired again. They bring in a new coach, a new offensive coordinator. And, and it's like, you're it in like Baker Mayfield. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, <laughs> so you're in three different playbooks trying to learn three different systems. The first three years in, in, in the league, when you're just yep. trying to figure out how to be a professional, David Krejci is, is an established NHL player. And he's been essentially playing with over the last half a decade, borderline top six forwards right like he's his responsibility is to elevate their game there's only so much elevation you can do with with guys who you know are, are so incredibly inconsistent you know 
Jake DeBrusque, real quickly on him. He's that sandwich pick back in 2015 when Boston had three in a row. Yeah. Ironically, he's the only pick that's really had an NHL career. And that was the pick that belonged to them. The 13th overall pick belonged to Los Angeles. They acquired in the Milan Lucic trade. And then the 15th pick they acquired from Calgary in the Dougie Hamilton trade. And Mm -hmm. both those draft picks have been fucking disasters. Right. That 2015 draft has been talked about plenty. But, I mean, he's just so inconsistent. When he gets hot, he gets really hot. Like He's the streakiest player I know in hockey. The TNR bump, right? Yeah. It's that's what it is. It was like this fucking guy. He would call in to, to touch her and rich in the morning and just do like a regular radio interview. And I, I like the guy. Like he seems like a pretty cool guy, like a pretty right. cool guy. And then he'd go out and like scoring two games in a row. Yeah. And he'd get like five points in three games, but then go cold for a month. He needs to be a regular guest on the show. At least. He yeah, definitely needs to be a regular guest on the show. Maybe he should be a regular guest on this show. We could talk some sense into him. I mean, if he keeps performing like he did uh, near the end of the season, he might be the third co-host. Yeah, right. He'll be <laughs> he'll be relegated to podcasts instead <laughs> of nationally, uh, you know, ra- uh, syndicated radio stations or programs. But um, but yeah, I think Boston's got a lot of decisions to make, and most of them, I think, are going to come down to personnel and character. What is the team going to look like moving forward? Because I think that the window of the Chara, Rask, Bergeron, Krejci, Marchand time period, it's, it's closed. Could you compete for a cup next year? Maybe. But I think you're going to need to get improvement from, from outside of the organization. Right. Like, I'm fairly excited about some of the prospects that they have. Like, we've, we, I talked about Stadnika already. I think Trent Frederick will be able to fit into one of those bottom six forward roles as – as a player that's got some jam, as Peter Laviolette likes to say, he's, he's going to be a little bit more physical. You know, he's not afraid to drop the gloves, which is something that they sorely missed outside of that cocksucker, Nick Ritchie. Um, and then John Beecher, he's another big, powerful forward that skates well that they had recently drafted. Jeremy Swayman, I'm excited about. Maybe I'll try and make it to some Providence Bruins games this year, depending on whether or not they allow fans in, just to get eyes on him, because mm-hmm. I think he's going to be the goaltender of the future. Um, and that brings us to possibly the biggest elephant in the room, Tuka Rask. Yes. What do you do with Tuka Rask? If, if the players were being honest in saying that they backed him and his decision to leave, then I think you can bring him back. If they were saying that just for the looks and they're actually pissed, I think management knows that, and then you have to move on. So what if, what if the players backed him, but management didn't? What if management basically said, Tuca, we know that you don't want to be here. You basically told us without telling us when you said you had a slight cough on, on that, that COVID check-in, like, <laughs> which we joked about. He's like, I think I'm getting the black lung pop. <laughs> and then he has to go in quarantine for two days. Like, okay. Um, I think management more than anything was, was, was irritated at him. Like how is that decision made with, with Sweeney and Neely and, and maybe the Jacobs family, whether it was Charlie Jacobs, Jeremy Jacobs, I fucking doubt it. Cause that guy is on planet zippity doodah. <laughs> um, maybe they were involved in the decision, but you don't tell Cassidy. Yeah. Like your head coach finds out a couple hours before the game because he heard it through the grapevine of, of upper management. That's just, 
there's something fishy going on in that situation, just just a little bit. I think if you're going to try to keep contending, and again, like you said, they're not going to be a, a favorite by any means, but they could. I could still see them coming in and and being a a team that you have to watch out for, a team that could be in the fight uh, come come the the postseason in the next few years. Um, and if if you want to do that, you have to keep Rask around here. Yeah, because you see I, what happens when you don't. I mean, Halak didn't play awful but he wasn't good right That's like what, what like, he needed to steal you games and he didn't steal you games he's like a, a zero war goalie if i had to take like a baseball reference and throw yeah it in there. i think that's a very good analogy he's a, he's a replacement player <laughs> perfect perfect analogy yeah they they uh i mean people are forgetting rasco is a vezina finalist this year like he very well may win it people forget that all the time about how good this guy is. They just disrespect him every time. But it's they, like, I get it. I get that he has parts of his like mentality or makeup or whatever it is that infuriates people. But when he's on the ice, he's just good. Majority of the time. Because like we, we said previously, or I said previously, he makes things look so effortless yeah. that when he lets in a soft one, it is infuriating because mm-hmm. it's like, why don't you try and fucking move around and stop the puck instead of just letting it hit you? Right. As again, as a form, it, it's, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit split on Rask because I, I understand that they're going to need someone to, to be the, the main goaltender for at least two years until Swayman's ready. I, I'm putting all my eggs in the basket of Swayman, by the right. way. Like if, cause if he can't play, you are fucked at that position. Are you telling me Darth Vader can't do it? Um, I mean, if the guy's going to be flopping around <laughs> like a seven-foot fish on ice, it's it's probably not great. No, probably probably not. Maybe I won't go to the Providence Bruins games because I did hear a caller call into to one of the shows this week and was like, "Yeah, Vladar, he's he's actually not that bad. I got an opportunity to watch him in Providence. He was the number one goaltender in the American Hockey League this year. Like, I don't know, he just wasn't mentally prepared or something. Like, Cassie's got to do a better job. Like, mm. you're <laughs> six foot six, and your instinct is to immediately go on your stomach. Yeah." It's it's more than just not being mentally prepared. It's it's lacking a lot of the fundamental necessities to play that position at that level. Like, right. hey, maybe he'll be a goalie down the road. Like, he's 24 years old, 24, 25 years old. Like, he's still a fucking kid. Yeah. But Making you know, his debut in a Stanley Cup playoff game. Like... Against probably the best team in the league. Right. So, um, I, don't, I don't know how much more time we're going to be spending on hockey – uh, going forward, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it. We'll we'll give updates, provide updates. You know, as the conference finals in uh, in both conferences are starting, uh, you know, now. So we've got the Islanders versus the Lightning and the Stars versus the Golden Knights. We're down to the final four. Do you have? Are you leaning anywhere in terms of a a, a, a pick or at least a matchup of some sort? I'm not going to hold you to a prediction but maybe just a little inkling of what you think is going to happen. Oh, I mean, I was, I was going to try to ride the lightning all the way there, but it looks <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know, after, after the Islanders, was that, a game, that game was last night? Yep. It, I mean, 
that team looks real damn good. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really watch the game. I watched the third period, which at that point they were already up three nothing. Like the game was in hand. Right. Um. But I'm I'm pretty much on the Islanders bandwagon because this is one of those teams that they haven't played in the conference final in 27 years. Like yeah. This was the Boston Bruins 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Starved for a championship, hungry fan base, loyal fan base, gets fucked time and time again by their ownership. Like, we're going to move them to Brooklyn, then we're not going to move them to Brooklyn, then they're going to play half their games in Long Island and half their games in New York. Like, like they're finally getting some normalcy. And Barry Trotz, who I looked up his Wikipedia page yesterday. Did you know he's 5'9"? Does he look 5'9"? No. I mean, the guy looks like he's 5'6 just because he doesn't have a neck. <laughs> and he played hockey. Like, he played right. in the American Hockey League for a long time. Or not a long time, but, like, he had a minor professional career. Yeah. then got into coaching very soon after and was pretty much Nashville's coach for the first 14, 15 years of their franchise. Mm-hmm. The guy knows what he's doing, though. Right. For him to do what he's done with Washington winning their first cup, and now he's got the Islanders, who have been a good team. Like, they've got some players. Um, maybe some players that Boston could have had. But the matchup against Tampa Bay is going to be tough. It's- yeah, it, it will certainly be tough. And, I mean, that series went seven, their last series, with, with Philly. Philly obviously came in – I mean, they came in hot. Yeah. That, that series, everybody expected that, that series to, to go the distance, at least from what I was hearing. Uh, but the Islanders, I don't know. There's just something about them that's that pulling me in, like that that underdog, uh, like that underdog. But it's still a good team. I I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is like the fan base. It's the the Mets Jets thing that you it's, that you're I'm all about. Fuck, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I am becoming like this pseudo New York like minor league, <laughs> like not Yankees, Giants, Rangers, but like the step below the Jets, the Mets, the Islanders, the ones, yeah. the teams that everybody always forgets about. Like you're Kevin know. Clancy, you're, you're KFC. I, guess. <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> like, I just, I love the misery. I appreciate it. And they're, they're a fan base. They're teams that you can get behind. Um, thought about going to Borelli's place. Maybe picking up a pizza or something this week just that's, to uh that's gonna be the move. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think we're 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 both firmly on the Islanders bandwagon going forward now. Mm-hmm. All right. Good to know. Jump on. Why don't we talk about the Celtics? Do we have to? <laughs> At some point we do. <laughs> Boston is going to zone up here on the side out of bounds. They're gonna be switching everything back here. Marcus Smart's going to stay up high, taking anybody coming to the ball. Series on the line. Adonomi got it off, and it goes! Did it count is the question. OG Adonobi buries a triple at the buzzer. Did you think that there was any shot in hell with half a second left that Toronto was going to win that game? No. <laughs> no, no shot. No shot. Zero shot. Especially when you put fucking seven foot five taco fall on the inbound pass. <laughs> like Kyrie or uh, Kyle Lowry had to throw that ball like 50 feet in the air. Right. And get some it. like weird arc. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. I, I mean, just ultimate breakdowns. And Jalen Brown said afterwards, like, it's disappointing. It's disgraceful. Like, very hard on himself. 
Uh, let's pick things up there, though. Uh, the end of game three. So Boston's got the 2-0 series lead against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Kemba Walker just puts on an absolute display on the offensive end as time is winding down. Finds Daniel Tice, who dunks at home. You know, maybe would have benefited from a layup there. <laughs> right. Maybe. There's, but a half <laughs> second remaining on the clock. They're up 103-101. Toronto is essentially facing elimination in the face. Nick Nurse calls the timeout, draws up a play, and lo and behold, Toronto, OG Ananobi hits the game-winning three. It's 2-1. Now we're snowballing. Game four we'll get to. Um, but just if we were to dissect game three and, and kind of figure out why the game was close to begin with, because game one was a blowout. Right. And then game two, you benefited greatly from some remarkable shooting by Marcus Smart. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's going to take to beat Toronto? Is it going to take Toronto either not showing up or miracle performances from guys you least expect it? You're just going to need a, like kind of what I've been on this whole, this whole postseason is you're going to need a lot of good plays from your role players. And when you're, when you're not able to get that, that that's when it starts to, I mean, when you're not getting 10 points from Daniel Tice, like you need double digits from, from multiple guys and you're getting them from just in, in, in that game specifically, just Jalen, Jason Tatum and Kemba that like that, that's what you, you should expect at least that. So if you're not getting more from your remaining two starters, I mean, you got 11 from smart. That's about what you'd expect from him, like 11 to 20 in yeah. that range and 20 on the high side, obviously, but not getting anything from their bench. Tice really just taken out of the equation in that game. I, I, Grant Williams, I, I can't stand watching this kid play. <laughs> See, I, I appreciate him for how nerdy he is, but he's another one of these guys who's – playing at the the four five position he's six foot six yeah he's six six like he's going up against Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul and he's getting absolutely de destroyed right and, and again like all right so he was trying to develop a jump shot and towards the latter half of the season before the stoppage uh you know started nailing some threes that's not his game though right like, yeah. I get nervous sometimes about Brad Stevens. Like, I think he's a very good coach. I do. But I think he's so ingrained in systematic basketball, and it's all about ball movement, mm. that he really does take away from the natural skills of the individual players. Like, I'm not saying you have to be Mike D'Antoni and just do iso ball with James Harden all the time. But, you know, there's something to be said about a low post game. Right. I know it's not, you know, the 90s anymore, and basketball has evolved, mm -hmm. but you still need to have a presence in the paint. Right. Something. You need a set. You, in today's NBA, you should have, if you want to be well-rounded, have a 6'11", a 7-foot guy. Like, it just, yeah. has to, it just has to happen. And when your tallest guy is, like, Daniel Tice or Robert Williams – I mean, Ennis Cantor, but he's not really playing as much as he played four minutes in game three. Right. Like you're going to completely remove that aspect of the game. And that that's when you start to get bullied down low. That's when you start to give up easy buckets. If you, if you look in that game alone, 
all five of their starters all had double-digit points. Like, what more can you expect from them? Kyle Lowry's going off and dropping 31. At that point, you need to have your your good defenders, your best defenders stepping up, and they just, they just haven't been. They've been slow on rotation, and this comes into game four as well. They've been slow on rotation. They haven't been giving all their – the best effort making smart plays. It's just been like a complete collapse. I feel like over the last two games, I think that the, the final play in game three is a microcosm of the issues that this team has. They're always going to be in a position to, to win or to compete, but they're just not there yet. Mentally, they're just not there yet. I mean, Kemba Walker's, finally having success in the playoffs Mm -hmm. like this is in a way this is his rookie year in the playoffs right jason tatum jalen brown these are these are a couple of guys that have had long runs in the postseason but have yet to really establish themselves like Mm -hmm. as as dominant postseason like players like threatening players where night in and night out they're going to be consistent you know what to expect from them like Tatum, I think Tatum only scored 15 points in game three. Was it game three or game two? He only scored 15 points. Like if he's not getting into that 20, 30 point range without Gordon Hayward, who might be the difference maker in this series. Mm-hmm. And I would not have said that a week ago. He's another scoring option. That's what they need. At least he's a guy who can come in and he can knock down shots when they need him to. Marcus Smart's not exactly known for that, although sometimes he'll give you five three-pointers in a, in a row. Yeah, because but, he missed the first 15 that he took. <laughs> I don't want to discuss that. Um, <laughs> we only discuss the good things here on this show. Positives. Uh, and, and, but, like, you're not getting that from Marcus Smart consistently. You're not getting that from Shemi Ojale. You're not getting that from Grant Williams. Having Gordon Hayward there as another scoring threat as a wing – that that is what you need. You need that, and you need a re- like a, a post presence. Mm-hmm. And right now, without with Hayward out of the bubble, and without a center that they've been missing since Kendrick Perkins left, pretty much they uh, they just don't have those two options right now. And you need you need at least one of them to help you in the series. Um, and like I said, they're not getting scoring from from any role players or even even their their uh, second half of their starters. It's just. I don't know. I feel, I feel a lot worse, obviously, coming into this week than I did uh, last week. Yeah, I, no, no question about it. There's the the coaching aspect is really coming into play. I I think here as well is Nick Nurse got a lot, a lot of negative publicity for the first two games. Mm-hmm. Like the the reaction to those first two games was was uh, heavy on Nick Nurse's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you're starting to see him, him rebound a little bit and come back, and you're seeing why that guy's a coach of the year. Like, that, he is a decent coach. He you is a what? good coach. No, he's not. Yeah, he's a phenomenal coach. Right. He, like You don't lose your best player after winning the finals and then immediately come back and you're the, one of the top teams in the league. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like you mentioned, oh, he's coach of the year. No, he's a fucking NBA champion. Like his first ever year as a head coach in the NBA mm-hmm. championship for the Toronto Raptors. Right. Like, think about that. Toronto's been competitive for a while, but they were never able to get over the hump. Kawhi Leonard did wonders for them. Mm-hmm. Absolute wonders for them. 
they don't really have a superstar. Like I've, I thought Siakam was better than he is, or at least better than he's been performing. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Gasol is fat and out of shape now. <laughs> fat, old, slow. Yeah, all of them. Uh, like I, I genuinely think that their best player is probably their coach. Right. Like it's very Celtics esque, except the difference between Brad Stevens when he first came in. And the Toronto Raptors now for Nick Nurse, Stevens had his system that he basically brought over from Butler. Mm-hmm. And it was this this idea of we're going to move the ball, create openings, take shots from outside, not necessarily worry about offensive rebounds, that like zone defense and, and just constantly switching and busting your ass. And it's... I think it's unfair to say it's not the modern NBA because it can win. Right. It can win. What Nick Nurse does, he looks at the roster that he has and the players available to him, and he basically says, okay, you do this well, you do this well, you do this well, this is how we're going to play. Right. He's not just like carbon copy, this is the system, this is how you need to play. I don't care if you're five foot ten or six foot ten, you're going to line up in the corner and wait to make your open threes. And if you shoot 20% from three versus 40% from the field, you know, inside the arc, I'll take the 20% from three because it's going to, you know, whatever. Who knows? And that may have been the biggest uh, problem in game four for Boston. Their threes weren't falling. And they're still fucking taking them. It was game seven against Cleveland, game five against Milwaukee last year all over again. Brad Stevens has been pretty consistent on his shoot out of the slump mentality. Cause I, I remember, I think this was last year, last year. I think they were talking about uh, during one of his uh, phone calls with Zolak and Bertrand, mm-hmm. uh, they were talking about Marcus smart shooting. And um, he said he never wants him to stop taking that shot taking his, his his big shots all the time, taking threes. Eventually, this is not the time to continue shooting your three-pointers. If you if they're not falling, adjust. And that's that's what separates the, the greatest coaches in the game from the the next tiers. And Brad Stevens, I think, has gotten a lot of praise so far in his time in Boston. I also think there's a lot of things that he doesn't get the blame for. And I think oh, he might yeah. maybe should start getting uh start getting a looks at those. Like I was actually kind of surprised they extended him as soon as they did. I see. I wasn't surprised that they extended him. I'm surprised when they extended him before the playoffs start mm-hmm. in the bubble. Like he hasn't proven anything yet. Are you that afraid that he's going to go and take a big job back in college and you're going to be left with nothing? Like, I mean, I hate to say it, but this is the league where the players come first and the coaches, I would even say the coaches come like tertiary. Like, they're not even secondary. The fucking fans are secondary. (laughs) Home court advantage is secondary. China is secondary. China is secondary. (laughs) China is primary for the NBA, let's be honest. Like, without really knowing what's going on, I know that they care more about China than they care about their fucking coaches. Right. That's the whole. That's the whole problem, I think. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. When you when you're hitting twenty percent of your threes in the game, and you're you're still shooting thirty five threes, like 
insert Michael Jordan meme, stop it, get some help. Yeah. Throw that at Brad Stevens. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you you need to improve your free throw shooting when it matters. Down the down the clutch of last night's game, they had opportunities to bring that game to closer than what it was, and they they were missing free throws left and right. They finished at seventy four percent, which isn't terrible team wide. It's free points. Right. <laughs> it it baffles me how poor people shoot in the NBA. Uh, uh, hmm. It doesn't baffle me because. I can't make a basket to save my life. <laughs> I just, I, I, there's something about maybe my depth perception or something. Like when the ball comes off my hand, it always looks really nice, but then it'll be like four feet short or it'll be like over the backboard. You like one of those, those video, wow. like uh, one of those like cartoons where you can see it coming off perfect. And it's like the beautiful sounds of, yes. It's going in, it's going in, and then an abrupt stop falls right in the exactly. front of the you know, court. It's the video of that guy, like that 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 bigger kid who's just like chucking up balls on the Oh lap. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's like, shoot your shot, shoot your shot, shoot your shot. <laughs> like maybe two of them fall in, but chances are none of them are gonna even hit the rim. Well, lucky yes. for them. They're yeah, NBA they're, players. They are professional <laughs> basketball players, yeah. So I mean if you if you're gonna get fouled and given two chances to just shoot. I mean, what's the distance from the foul line to the hoop? 15 feet, 20 feet maybe? It's not it's that, that far. far. It's not it's far. far. For these guys, it's not. Like, I put my arm out. I'm, I'm five foot eight, but I have a large wingspan. If I put one arm out, I'm probably reaching anywhere between three to three and a half feet in front of me. Right. These guys are nearly two feet taller than me. Right. You so should be able cases. to easily push in a 15-foot shot. Like, that should be happening. Like, wasn't, wasn't the whole thing with Rajon Rondo was he sucked at shooting because his hands were too big? That, that is uh, a lot of people's excuses in the NBA. Well, as someone who also doesn't have very large hands, I don't buy into that either <laughs> because small hands don't give you an advantage in shooting a basketball. You need to be like the um... – the, this one's just right. Like one of them's too big, one of them's too the small. The Goldilocks. Yeah, of- yeah, the Goldilocks of hands. That's what you need. <laughs> um, Everything needs to be perfect for them. That's the thing. I mean, there's a, a very, very, very strong argument to be made about the Celtics being a team of front runners. Definitely. Like I said before, when, when we were talking about them last week, they're a team that goes up big in the first. They always always let a team back in at second and third and then it's a close game in the fourth and whether or not see the last on game two i believe it was they entered the fourth quarter i believe they were down in that game entering the fourth quarter and because i knew the celtics and how they've played recently my thought i had no worries about them driving through the the entire fourth quarter and winning that game and over the last two games it hasn't really felt like that so like it's a complete 180 from where we were at just two games ago yeah i mean no question about it did i think that boston was going to sweep toronto no i think i even said like well i wouldn't be surprised if it still goes six or seven but i had pretty much made my mind up that i thought the celtics were going to win it Mm -hmm. i still think the celtics are going to win i still think the celtics could win it in six games like if you really think about how poorly they shot in game four yeah, 
and they lost by seven, seven points. Seven, yeah. Like they were competitive for the entire game until like the very last mm-hmm. possession where they were just like, ah, all right, fine, whatever. Game three, you're half a second away from winning. Now, again, you don't close it out. That's your fault, and you're not blameless, but you were in position to win that game. Right. Game two, you win. Game one, you blow them out. They haven't been so poor in any of these games where I would say, "Mm, I don't feel good about them. Right. The question is just going to come down to how mentally tough are they? This team hasn't faced a lot of adversity. The most adversity they have faced, and this is probably going back to, we'll call it the 17-18 season, mm-hmm. right when Jason Tatum was a rookie. The most adversity they've ever faced was losing Gordon Hayward game one and then losing Kyrie Irving before the playoffs. And in both those cases, it allowed for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to gain experience in the playoffs until they had to face LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and lose once again to them. Like, I just want to see them. I actually wouldn't mind if, if Toronto wins game five and then they have to come back from a three, two deficit against the defending champions. I think that would as like a test type thing. Yeah. I think that would mean more in the long term Mm. because they're going to, if they win and they go to the conference finals and then lose to Miami because Milwaukee's not going to beat Miami. That team's a wagon right now. doesn't yeah. make any sense. It, but it does. It's the they're Jimmy the Butler gold, effect. They're the Golden State Warriors on the East Coast. They jack yeah. up threes. They make them like 40 to 50% of the time. And they've got one of the hardest, badass players going on the planet right now in Jimmy Butler. Like mm-hmm. When that guy is giving interviews now he sends like shivers down my spine he's like so cold-blooded and just mercenary like fuck it's it is damn shame that boston never got him and i don't think that he was the player then that he is now or at least the person right and i always thought he was kind of a douchebag based on how he treated his teammates in in minnesota (laughs) but you know what it works he it's michael jordan it is, I'm going to treat you like shit because I'm busting my... He's not Michael Jordan. I was right? just going to... I was bringing it up. I no. was going to... No. You said that, I tilted my head up a little bit. <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan. It's MJ-esque, the competitiveness in how he's going to work his hardest and he's going to expect the same from his teammates. And he wasn't getting that in Minnesota. And then he goes to Philadelphia, and that's a fucking disaster. I didn't know anything about the Miami Heat before probably game three against Indiana in the last round because I thought Indiana was a good team. Indiana had a really great uh, bubble, like the Mm -hmm. the preliminary games. But, yeah, Jimmy Butler, when he's on and he's the guy, I don't want to fuck with him. No. He's, that, he's, he's like slit your throat type territory going to kill you. That not, team. Well, I mean, <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> that team is, is going to be a problem. If they, if they continue to, to put the beat down, they're playing right now, I believe. If they continue to put the beat down on the Bucks and See, that's the thing. If, if you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, 
and the Heat are in your path and then you lose, I think that's a failure. Yeah. I think that's a failure for the Celtics. If it was the Bucks, maybe you could see like I think the Bucks are an overall and this is pretty much because of Giannis is just a are just a better team. Well, they're yeah, hundred percent better team. But they're just not they're, playing like it right now. They're a top three team in the league and right. they're playing like dog shit. Right. Like not even competitive. No. I don't know. I mean, there the rumors are starting to circulate already about Giannis trading Boston. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard that in particular, <laughs> although I tried I, I think I tried a couple of weeks ago to I was gonna say I heard it on this podcast. <laughs> to slide it in there. That was also based off of like, oh, you gotta get rid of Hayward, you gotta get rid of uh you know, all, all your bad contracts and, and then you gotta like bring Damian Lillard over. <laughs> I don't know. Very far fetched. But the rumors are out there that Milwaukee might trade him. Like if you could get if you were the general manager for the Milwaukee Bucks, and forgive me, I don't know who it is, but you're in that position. You've just seen your team who has had the best regular season record in the entire NBA get swept out of the second round by the Miami Heat, whose best player, you know, is, is very, very, very good. But right. I wouldn't say he's the elite of the elite, like top guy, because he's on your team, you're a championship contender year in and year out. This is the first time we've ever seen it. Right. And it's the joke under, is always that Jimmy Butler's top 20, and that's it. Like, right. no one ever goes and, higher than that. But it's like, it's under very odd circumstances, too. Like, right. would he be doing this in a regular postseason run? Probably not. But because we're in the bubble and things are weird in the bubble and it's 2020, uh, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if someone offered you. Let's say someone offered you the Brooklyn trade from Boston. Three firsts. Uh, I think there was maybe a second or two seconds included in that. And then we'll call it two roster players that are not like at the end of their careers, but to make the money work, so to yeah. speak, you get two roster players that are going to be starters for you. Uh-huh. So you're getting two starters, three firsts. The seconds don't matter. Would you trade Giannis for that? Am I the Bucks? You're the Bucks, yeah. Yes, because I don't think he. I don't think he wants to resign there. I think he wants to resign there, but only if they're going to be competing for championships. And if you get knocked out, if you get swept in the second round when you were the best team in the league, I'd be looking at everybody, including myself, because Giannis holds some blame. Like he's not playing like the way he can. Right. He's not playing number one, number two, best player in the world level. But I'd be looking around and saying to myself, what chance do we have here? What are we building? It seems like we're already here. Right. So unless we can add something significant that's going to change the culture, because it's a culture problem now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a culture problem similar to, similar to maybe Boston. Right. You got to change the culture. You got to change the mentality. You need to become an alpha. Stop being a beta. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they have, they have a good enough roster there. Uh, to at least be competing for championships. And if they go down, again, they're playing right now, so who knows the how Game 3 finishes out. I think they were up by one last I checked. Um, if they go down in four or five in this series, I would definitely consider the option of moving on if 
if again, if that big Brooklyn type trade was out there where you're getting top picks. Like I don't want like I don't want the Lakers next just, five just, just first round say, picks. What if, what if the Lakers <laughs> offered you three firsts, Kyle Kuzma and uh can't even think Alex Caruso. No. <laughs> like there's no point like the the picks are going to be uh, like 29 or 30 like i don't i wouldn't want that at that point right it is it, like you have to get uh like i don't even know who would what, what team it would have to be like well i don't think that team exists because the risk you run in bringing a player in like that after giving up so much like really what did the spurs or what did the raptors have to give up to get Kawhi leonard last year demar Derozan. DeMar DeRozan and uh, Danny Green. Danny Green? No, Danny Green came from San Antonio to Toronto. So Danny Green came over with Jacopolo. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> Who is that? Jacopolo is a backup center. <laughs> a backup center. So you traded a good, not great shooting guard and a backup center for one of the best players in the league and one of the best shooters in the league. <laughs> Yep. They, like, that was it? I think that was it. So you gave up nothing, and you got a championship out of it. You gave up the uh, mystique of DeMar DeRozan being a career Raptor. Uh, and a pr- protected first-round pick, sorry. Protected. So what does that mean? If they're in the top six, then it doesn't vest or something? Uh, protected pick. Any of those protected <laughs> picks. In the NBA, I know you can get good players anywhere. You can. But- <laughs> Everybody knows if you don't have a top three, and in many cases a top two pick, right? You might as well just defer to next year. Yeah, I mean that's basically that's most drafts, and then you get drafts like this year where who knows what any of these guys are going to be? Like, there's no star prospect. Yeah, there's a there's Lamelo, there's like Obi Toppin, there 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 are decent players, but there are no game changers. What's this Anthony Edwards kid? And then there's um, yeah, he's like the big name coming out, I guess. Yeah, I, I again, I think we talked about it uh, beforehand. Um, the NBA draft this year just has zero juice to it, and I think it's because we didn't get March Madness. Like we never had that opportunity to watch these these top end college kids compete for championships and play meaningful games. I don't watch college basketball outside of March Madness, right? And even March Madness, like. I'll do what everybody does on the first two days. Like I'll put the TV on and just go from game to game to game to game and hope that a 16 seed knocks out a one. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much all I'm rooting for. Maybe I fill out a bracket. Maybe I don't. Um, But yeah, we didn't have that. So I have zero clue who's, who's going first. Like Minnesota's going to have a decision to make Minnesota. Maybe they trade the first overall pick and get a player. Maybe (laughs) Devin Booker. Would you trade the number one overall pick for Giannis? Uh, yeah. Wait, am I am I am I the Bucks or am I the other team? Either one. If I'm the Bucks, no. If I'm the other team, yes. See, I think if I'm the Bucks, I do it. I just don't think there's going to be anywhere someone anywhere near that level caliber. You, I mean, if you're going to give me the number one overall pick this year, three other picks, and also two roster ready players, like. That there would have to be something like that. Mm-hmm. I I don't see whoever comes out number one in this draft. I don't see them coming anywhere near 
top 10, top 15 level player in the NBA. No, no. I mean, there's no Zion in this draft. Like, there's, there's not, I don't even think there's a John Morant in this draft. I think I'd take John Morant over Zion. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I haven't seen Zion ever do anything other than dunk on five foot 10 white kids in high school. (laughs) I just, I haven't. He but that's play. on me. Yeah. That's on me. He plays 12 minutes a game. Right. That's and they open up that. the bubble and expand, uh, expand the playoff uh, seeds to get, to get them in. But, uh, and then right, you so play 12 minutes a game. Are you f- you're not super confident in the Celtics, but do you still think that they you – know, are you looking at this as like a best of three, or do you think that there's momentum that's shifted on one side or the other? I think it's still a best of three. I think uh, I think it will probably go one one one. Like I think mm-hmm. I think that the Celtics will win this this upcoming game tomorrow, uh, the today if you're listening to this on Monday. Yep. Um, and I think Toronto will fight back, and I think it's going seven. And I think the Celtics will end up taking it in seven. But man, you're gonna have to turn a lot around in that time. You're gonna have to start getting everybody on the same page again. You gotta you gotta flip the switch and. You got to take this team out while you had the chance because you were, you had a great opportunity to put this team away and uh, you let your foot off the gas. Yeah. It was a tremendous opportunity that, you know, goes by the wayside, but it's not over yet. Not yet. Not yet. I call this one the campfire song song. Let's gather around the campfire and sing our campfire song. R-C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song And if you don't think that we can sing it faster than you're wrong But it'll help if you just sing along bum, bum, bum. C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song And if you don't think that we can sing it faster than you're wrong But it'll help if you just sing along so Mike, last week I had a, uh, a meeting with the high school hockey team down in Barrington. Mm-hmm. and actually had the opportunity to talk with some of the players who have tuned into a podcast or two. Ooh. Now, they did tell me that they skip around. They also told me uh, that they thought the name of the podcast was Shifting the Goalposts, to which mm-hmm. I was very frustrated with. <laughs> but not as frustrated as being outside during dusk. Like, the meeting started at 6.30, and because of COVID, we couldn't go inside. So we're like, all right, we'll have it outside. So we met at uh, an American Legion. We were out in the parking lot. Um, And as soon as that sun fucking went down, right by like a little pond, water, and the Skeeters just... Mm, I must have some sweet blood. Dude, I have never been bitten so much in such a short period of time in my life. I think I was outside for maybe 15 or 20 minutes once like, I started feeling the initial bites. Yeah. It looks like my legs from the kneecap down are like hives. 
It like, looks like I, you got a braille on your legs or something. It, it does. <laughs> it, like, it genuinely does. I, I feel like the fucking elephant man. Uh, what was his name? John Merrick? Like just all these blotches all over my shins and they're like, what's that part of your leg called that's behind your knee where it's like the hinge? I have no idea. You know where like the quad and the shin meet? In the front, it's your kneecap. But yeah. behind your kneecap, what would it be called? I don't know. I just behind like, your kneecap. Behind your kneecap, like the patellar tendon. Maybe. MCL, but it's not the the ligament. It's right. just the just the skin behind. Just it. the skin. Right. If we have any doctors that listen uh, to the <laughs> podcast on the regular, again at moving the posts on Twitter or Instagram, at Nick Mara ninety four. At Mike underscore Masala, at Mike Masala NFL. I think I got it right. There you go. Uh, reach out to us. Let us oh, know yeah. what that part of the body is. Um, but it sucks because I'm typically not like a bug spray guy. Not because I don't. You're too manly. I just don't like the feeling of it. <laughs> like, I don't like putting products on my body. Yeah. Like we were talking about hair two seconds before we started this segment. Mm-hmm. And it was painful for me working at a place where I couldn't wear a hat because I had to put product in my hair just to keep it out of my eyes. Mm-hmm. Now it's long enough where I can kind of put it in like a, a band or like tie it up or something or just wear a hat whenever I want now. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm not a big fan of putting things on my body like bug spray or sunscreen or product in my hair or anything like that. It's totally besides the point. I wanted this segment to be about like being outside and being outdoors no. because as much as it sucks getting bit by bugs, I love being outside. Like it was just so nice. End of summer. We're getting to that point where like cookouts are ending, football's coming around, so like tailgates are starting. Like, are you a big outdoors guy at all? Or are you just sort of like a an indoorsy man, you know, <laughs> keep to yourself? For the most part, I'm I'm indoorsy, but uh Me too. I mean I love like, like even like yesterday, I went to uh, a friend's house. We brought out a couple cornhole sets. Um, we're doing a little, little bit of cornhole, some beer pong, a fire outside. Got a little bit of everything going on. It, it just, it has to be the right weather for me as a bigger guy. If it's over eighty, I'm I'm out. I'm out because yeah, it's, it's too gross, especially up here where it's like it's never just a dry heat. It never is. It's, it's always, always disgusting. And I, and I don't want to be out during that. And where this Pacific friend lives and where I also live happens to be a lot of swampy areas around yep. us. So we get the, we get the skeeters real bad out here. So yesterday on my way over, I was like, all right, I'm stopping at CVS. I'm getting the deep woods off stuff. Like I am coming in there prepared. I got there. The second I got there, I sprayed myself all down. I have, bad memories of being there there was a time i was at that house probably i was probably in high school so it's like 17 we went over and we were like let's let's do like a water gun uh like capture the flag type thing that sounds like a blast it was it was awesome but i was also super dedicated and i was like in the woods like laying down no we went to mcdonald's afterwards and bro to this day, we all think I got like the West Nile virus. That yeah, day. I was gonna like, say I've, you probably got like Lyme disease because yeah, you woods with like ticks and skeeters and it was bad. Like bleh. my entire leg was just 
completely bulbous. Like there was so many different bites all over the place. And since that day, I've been team team off team whatever brand you use of bug spray. Get me as much of it as you can. It may smell bad. It may be sticky and gross, but it is way better than dealing with like the triple E mosquitoes that we get around here. Yeah. One of the kids on the team told me that triple E is a 50% death rate. I don't know if that's true. That sounded a little That sounds outlandish, like big news to me. But <laughs> I don't know where his sources are from. I didn't ask him. He's a high school kid. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think the last time, like this summer was weird. There were opportunities where I got to go to like cookouts or parties where things were outside, but the, the social gatherings were completely shut down. And, you know, talking about tailgating as the football season's right around the corner, college, NFL, even high school. Like, I don't know how often people tailgate for high school. I did it one time and it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, I think part of the season that people really appreciate, like, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, um, Labor Day, like yeah. as we are in Labor Day weekend, this is usually a great time for for families to get together, friends to get together. You know, we're gonna throw some things on the grill. We're gonna have a couple of couple of drinks, and you know, maybe listen to some music and then have a fire. Interesting that you said you guys had a fire. Uh, how was it? Um, I thought it was pretty good. The last fire I went to left oh, no. a lot to be desired. Oh, no. Why? Because uh, it never happened. Oh. I was invited to a fire, and this was probably at like 8.45, 9 o'clock at night mm-hmm. after it had rained all day. <laughs> so I asked my buddy, like, hey, can you do me a favor and check and see if everything's still wet? Right. He's like, I'm not home yet. So he's driving home and he's like, you want to come over? We're going to have a fire. I'm like, yeah, sure. I got nothing going on tomorrow. I'll, I'll stop by. <laughs> but silly me thinking, hmm, we might want to make sure that the fire is actually going to start. Right. And the chairs that we sit on aren't going to be soaked. And then I get there and he just forgot. It's just completely drenched logs and you no, can't do anything about he that. Forgot. He forgot I was coming over. He forgot you were coming over. Yes. Like I showed up, I showed up at like 9.30, 9.45. I parked my car outside his house and I'm walking up and they have like uh, uh, him and his girlfriend, they live together and they have like a picture window where their TV is in their kitchen and, and like living room or like just viewing area where they spend the most of their time. So they can see everything outside. Yeah. And they've got this dog who's, I don't know, he might be like, 11 months old or something mm-hmm. he's a fucking riot that dog like, <laughs> a puppy that looks like you, you remember the bear in the big blue house on disney yeah yeah, yeah. looks just like him <laughs> doesn't act like him because that guy acted like he was on fucking quaaludes or something this yep. dog is the most hyper horny uh golden doodle i've ever met shout out charlie but uh, yeah, I start walking up, up the stairs and they're like looking outside because they see this like shadowy figure because I had on like a black hoodie, yeah. and, like pajama bottoms because I just threw them on over my shoulder <laughs> because I did not want to get bit. Mm-hmm. And I walk in and I was like, hey. And his girlfriend's like, 
hi. I say, you guys still having the fire? She goes, what? So yeah, oh I got invited. Last, yeah, I got invited to a fire that never happened. So that's see, that is the type of person. Like I think your friend had to have like I don't know taken something beforehand, or uh, or maybe partaken in something he, yeah. beforehand. <laughs> Was in Lowell for a party or a wedding mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds like the type of situation where maybe you um indulge in some type of uh <laughs> substances that affect your your cognitive skills or your memory or something perhaps you know what though it ended up being not too bad of a night we got to sit down we got to chat i got humped by the dog a couple of times <laughs> and we watched hockey so they, i mean what, what else can you ask for hockey and some action on the couch that's that's, there's nothing better than that. It's it's a typical Saturday night, I guess. <laughs> All right, Mike. So that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Moving the Goalposts. But before we go, as always, I got to ask you, what are you looking forward to this week? What is your final blow? Well, as I discussed earlier, I'm more of an indoors guy. Um, and I've kind of done a lot of talking about video games and, and movies and TV shows. Um, so for me this week, my final blow is about Tony Hawk Pro Skater, which has made its triumphant return to current consoles. And I am so hyped to go back and relive my memories of playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 on the Nintendo 64, just using Bob Burnquist, all these random, random, random names that are just stuck in my head. Um, And those soundtracks, I don't know if they brought it back with the same soundtrack, but... I don't know if you're you were a big Tony Hawk pro skater guy, but those soundtracks a, were fire. Growing up, there was skate. They made the the skate franchise for yeah. Xbox later on, and uh, th- those games were great. And there hasn't been a good skate game in in years, so I'm I'm glad to have this back. And I'm gonna go back and relive my childhood even more. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that we did the uh, the outdoors segment, and even though you're more of an indoors guy, I'm more of an indoors guy as well. But the reason I'm more of an indoors guy is much along the same lines as you. I just don't like hot, humid weather. Yeah. And now that we're in September, get ready. The leaves are going to start changing colors Mm -hmm. and falling. We are about two weeks away from the end of summer and start of fall. But if you take a look at the forecast over the next few days, we're talking low 70s. This is perfect. And that, to me, is what I'm looking forward to. There you go. Nice weather. Fall weather. That's my final blow. Whether it comes this week or next week, it's what I'm looking forward to. Yep. Because there's in 2020, I realized there's not a whole lot to look forward to other than the end of the year. You got to look forward to the little things. <laughs> All right, Mike. Like I said, though, that's going to bring us to the end of another episode of Moving the Goalposts. Um as always, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, social media. You can find me at NickMara94 on both platforms. Mike, where can the listeners reach you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Masala or on Instagram at Mike Masala NFL. Follow the Moving the Goal posts. Social media is on Twitter and Instagram at Moving the Posts. Mike, till next time. Have a good one. Peace. <laughs> Tell your story.